and to reach out to them and adopt them into his family. He's on a mission, he's working a plan, and as my friend, the late Bill Jackson, used to say, nothing's going to stop it. Nothing's going to stop it. Nothing can stop God on a mission. And the amazing thing is, to me, is that he invites us to join him in his mission. And when we say yes to his invitation, then we are unstoppable because he is unstoppable. So when Jesus said, you know, that he was going to build his church and the gates of hell would not prevail against it, he meant what he said. He meant what he said. So last week we talked about unstoppable vision. We, we looked at our mission, this, this church's mission, which is, it says that we are here to love God and to serve people and to change lives. And when we, you know, then we looked at the kind of church that if that's going to happen, what kind of church must we be if we are going to, to really love God, serve people, and see change, uh, uh, lives changed? So we looked at the kind of, uh, of church we need to be, and we said that there's, there's several things. Everybody is, we need to be a church where everybody is welcome, and this is a church where everybody is needed. Said it's a church where everybody gets to play. That's a big thing around here. And by the way, um, two weeks from now, September 16th, is Back to Church Sunday. So look around, and if there's somebody you're thinking, you know, I haven't seen this person in a while, I haven't seen that person, or maybe you have a friend that you know has, you know, maybe checked out a church a long time ago, invite them in two weeks. You can invite them next week too, but invite them in two weeks for Back to Church Sunday. We're going to be starting a new series that's going to go deeper into this whole thing of everyone gets to play. This is something we really believe around here. And then the, the fourth thing that, that about you know kind of church we need to be is, is a church where everyone is changed. Everyone is changed. You come as you are and you are loved, but we don't have to stay as we are. Our lives are changed as we encounter Christ. That's our ideal. That's what we are striving for. That's the kind of church that we are striving to be, the kind of church that we want to be. But the thing is, it's not automatic. And just saying it or talking about it doesn't make it happen. We have to keep the goal in front of us, and we have to work together for it. In Acts 2, we see a, a, a beautiful picture of the early days of the church. It's a beautiful picture. It starts in verse 44, and it says this. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, just like we did here just right now. They broke bread in their homes and, and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. It's a wonderful picture of the church operating as it should. There was unity. There was genuine care for each other. They had generous hearts as they took care of each other. and They gathered frequently. They shared their lives. They did life together as believers. And the atmosphere was one of uh, 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 praise and of the presence of God. That's how it should be. You see... God wants us united. He wants us to come together and to have one mind and one heart. 
Unity is so important to the heart of God that it was the focal point of Jesus' uh, prayer to the Father just before Jesus was betrayed and just before he was arrested and he was sentenced to die by this, this horrible method of crucifixion. His prayer that he kept hitting over and over, asking the Father that we would be united. And then in Psalms, we say the psalmist uh, uh, even went so far as to say that the Lord commands his blessing on his people who live in unity. He commands his blessing there. On the other hand, Satan wants us divided. He wants us divided. He wants to pull us apart. Craig Rochelle is a pastor of Life Church in Oklahoma. It's one of the largest churches in the country, uh, if not the largest, and uh, he looked at this passage, and he kind of put his own twist on it, um, describing not what the church was in the early days, as Luke did, and we just read, but kind of what he observes in the church today, rather than you know what Luke saw. Craig Rochelle, he put his twist on this and said, this, this is what I see. This is what he said. And he kind of patterned it after, after Luke's passage here said, all the believers were divided. They didn't have much of anything in common. Hoarding their possessions and goods, they kept as much as they could for themselves. Every now and then, if it wasn't football season and they weren't too tired, they would come to church for an hour and leave early to beat the traffic. They loved Jesus when it was convenient for them, and yet they were despised by the people for their hypocrisy. And very few people got saved. Ouch. You know, as I look at the church in our country, big picture, I think there's a little more truth to that than sometimes we would like to admit. See, Christianity over the past, I'd say, 50 years has shifted from a we culture, a community-oriented culture, to a me culture where everything's based on the individual. What can I get? What, you know, what's, what's in it for me? And, and, and that we've, we've shifted. In the West in particular, there's been a, a shift from commitment to convenience. But if the church is going to be the force in this world that it can be, if the church is going to be the force in this community that it can be, the force that God intended it to be, then it's going to take committed people setting aside personal desires and preferences, coming together and partnering with each other to work toward a common goal. If we're going to accomplish this mission of loving God, serving people, and changing lives, it's going to take an empowered partnership. It's going to take an empowered partnership between the church and between us as individuals. Now, as we said before, this is a church where you are needed. We need your partnership. We need you to partner with us. We need commitment. You bring something to the table that nobody else does. Say, well, there's others can do this and others can do that, but there's nobody else with your story. And we need your story. Now, partnership goes two ways. The church has its part, we have our part, and then you as an individual have your part. This morning I want to talk about the church's part. There's six things that I as your pastor and that 
we as a, uh, as a church will commit to you. This is our part of the partnership. First of all, we agree to do anything short of sin to reach people without Christ. Anything short of sin. In other words, reaching people who are far from Christ, who are far from God, must be a priority. Nothing else is as important as that. So anything is on the table. We'll listen to any suggestion. We'll listen to any idea. And we're not, willing, or, or, or we're not uh, uh, adverse to pushing the envelope. You know, anything short of sin. We need a whatever-it-takes attitude when it comes to reaching people who are far from God. That's the kind of attitude the Apostle Paul had. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9. The Apostle Paul says, even though I'm a free man with no master. Now, you know, Paul was a free man. He, 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 he was free. He was, he was born a Roman citizen. And he says, even though I'm a free man with no master, I've become a slave to all people to bring many to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone doing everything I can to save some. I do everything to spread the good news, to share in its blessings. That's a man with a whatever-it-takes attitude. And that's the attitude that we have to have if we're going to reach this community for Christ. Recently, during 21 Days of Prayer, you know, whenever we have that, you know, I, 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 I'm, I'm always asking God to speak to me. And then this time, I, it was no different. I was asking God, you know, speak to me. Speak to me during this 21 days of prayer. Give me some direction. Give, you know, I want to hear from you. And, you know, one night during the second week, I was pacing back and forth across the front as I was praying. I, I do that a lot. I can't always sit still. You know, and so I was pacing back and forth, you know, praying, and I'd open up Scripture and, and read for a, a minute or two, and, and, then, and then keep praying and so forth. Well, one night I was doing that, it was during the second week, and the Lord spoke very clearly a Scripture to me. I opened my Bible to Isaiah 57, I just felt compelled to, to, to open it up, and this is what I read. God says, rebuild the road. Clear away the rocks and stones so my people can return from captivity. Now, I'm still asking the Lord to show me what all he wants me to see in that, to show me the implications of that and how, you know, what implications are for us and, and what he's saying. But I believe that he's telling us that we need to identify and remove whatever barriers there are that are getting in the way of people coming to God, or returning to God. We need to look and identify barriers that people have and then eliminate them. Every single barrier between God and those who are far from Him must be removed except for one. The one barrier that cannot be removed the one barrier that must remain is the message of the cross. The death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus died on the cross. He was buried. The third day he rose again. That's a barrier to people. Because people don't want to talk about what happened to Jesus on the cross. They don't want to talk about you know, what, the, the, the fact that our sin 
is what put him on the cross. It's much easier just to say, let's all just love one another. Let's sing Kumbaya. Love one another and all get along. You know, everything is wonderful. Oh, look at those ponies over there. Oh, look at the flowers. I, I mean, kind of sounds like the 60s. <laughs> but, you know, we'd much rather do that because we don't want to talk about the fact that our sin sent Jesus to the cross and nailed him there. And that had to happen. And he laid down his life and he, 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 he died for us and then he rose from the dead. With that message, we, we, we cannot we cannot get rid of that message, but every other barrier, whatever other rocks and stones are in the road, must go. So whatever things we're doing or not doing, you know, it can be things we're saying, it can be attitudes that we have in our hearts that need readjusting, anything that's a barrier between someone else and the God that loves them needs to go. And we must be willing to do anything short of sin, anything short of compromise, to reach people with the truth of the gospel. Second, as a church, we agree that we are going to focus on the gospel and not on politics. Okay, we're going to focus on the gospel, not on politics. It can be easy to get sidetracked by political discussions and for the gospel to get lost in that. I mean, we've all seen it. We've all seen it where, where you know, Christians get together or groups get together and, and even churches, and it seems like their focus is more on a political agenda than on the gospel itself. Well, Paul said in Romans 1.16, he said, I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. The power of God for salvation is in the gospel. It is not in politics. Politics is not going to save us. When we start mixing the two, that's when we start corrupting the gospel. I'm not saying Christians should not be involved in political things. I'm saying that we need to make sure that our main focus as a church is the gospel and not political agendas. See, God is not a Republican. God is not a Democrat. He's not even an independent. He transcends all of that. And here's something else. God is not for either political party as opposed to the other one. He is not for a political party. Interesting story in the Old Testament. I love this story. The Israelites are getting ready to enter the promised land. The Lord had taken Moses to, to, to be with him. And, and Joshua was commissioned to, to lead the people. They cross over the Jordan River, and, and Joshua standing there, you know, with on a on a on a probably on a hill or or at least outside the city of Jericho, and he's looking over the city of Jericho. And all of a sudden he sees this figure, this man standing there with sword drawn. And Joshua approaches and says, Sir. Are you for us or are you for them? And I can imagine Joshua, I just picture, I picture Joshua walking up to him, putting his hand on his sword and just holding it there, waiting for the answer. 
Are you for us? Are you for the enemy? Are you for us? Are you on our side? Are you on their side? Ready to draw his sword and fight if he was for the enemy. The man surprised him. He said, neither. I am the commander of the army of the Lord. You see, when we ask whose side is God on, that's the wrong question. It's the wrong question. The right question is, am I on God's side? That's the question that we need to answer. Am I on God's side? Philippians 3.20 says this, But we are citizens of heaven, where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. As believers, we are citizens of heaven before we are citizens of the United States or any other country. I have a blue passport for the United States of America. But the passport that really matters is the gold passport. Heaven. Kingdom of God. That's the one that really matters. So as a church, we will focus on the gospel, on the gospel of the kingdom, not politics. Third thing, as a church, we will demonstrate integrity in all matters, in all matters. This includes integrity in finances, integrity in relationships, integrity in the home, integrity in all our practices, integrity, it matters. We run background checks on all our staff and all our children's workers. We have checks and balances in place in the handling of our finances. Every dollar that's spent is reviewed by the men and women on our board. We just got done doing that this week. We're not going to put words on the songs up here on the screens without paying for the license. One of the things at our meeting, we looked at all the licenses that we pay for. So we pay this much for this license, this much for this license. To put the words on the screen, we need the license. To do a movie on movie night, we need another license. To play music during our uh, uh, 90 second time where we fill out our connect card, we need another license. Everything is licensed. We, 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 we buy those licenses. You know, we're, uh, uh, you know, we don't borrow software from somebody and illegally load it on our computer. I've had people here, you know, I shouldn't say here. I have had people before say, you know, when we're getting ready to buy a, 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 a software suite, you know, say, here, I have a disk, just use this. And we say, no, we're not going to do that. We can't do that because that's stealing it. So, you know, we... we uh, the software we have, we have it legally. See, the Apostle Paul said to, you know, this about he and his companions. He said, Our conscience testifies that we have conducted ourselves in the world, and especially in our relations with you, with integrity and godly sincerity. We've done so relying not on worldly wisdom, but on God's grace. Integrity matters 
and we commit to demonstrating integrity in all things. Fourth, we agree to help guide your growth, not to take responsibility for it. There's a difference. See, growth is not something that's automatic. Our spiritual growth we're talking about, it's not something that's automatic. Spiritual growth must be intentional, and it takes effort. Philippians 2.12 says, Dear friends, you always followed my instructions when I was with you, and now that I'm away, it's even more important. Work hard to show the results of your salvation. Some translations say, work out your salvation. But work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. In other words, God has saved us. The Bible tells us He rescued us from the dominion of darkness, set us in the kingdom of His beloved Son. He pulled us from the grasp of the enemy, and He set us in a place of grace. He set us in a place of favor. Now, our part is to walk out what He's freely given us, and grow in our faith. Second Peter chapter 1 says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. He's, all these things, he's saying, you know, supplement your faith, you know, add this, and then add this, and then add this, and then add this. And then he says, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, if all these things are yours and they keep increasing, that you keep on growing in these things, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, God has given us everything we need. Everything is laid out in front of us. He's already given us what we need to grow. And, and as a church, we are here to come alongside and help in whatever way we can. But we can't make you grow. We can set everything on the table but only you can pull up a chair and start to eat. Over the years the church has been here, um, we've seen a lot of people come and go. We've seen people that, that just grew and grew, and others that, that haven't. And there's a discernible pattern for those that, that start growing in their faith. Many of you, you know, we, we, we've seen this in your lives. You know, we look at habits, and we can predict those who's, who are going to show the most growth over a five to ten year period or, or, or span, as opposed to those who falter when life hits, like when they're out there in the, David talked about, in the, in the life raft in the middle of the ocean for four hours. There are predictable things that, that you know, those who, you know, when life hits them hard, are going to stand strong and, and uh, uh, you know, make it through versus those who are going to see their life raft capsized. Um, and, and these are some of the things. One, regular quiet times with the Lord, including reading the Bible. We don't know what the Word says until we get into it. You know, regular times, just like we eat regular times, we, we, we you know, we, we enter the Lord's presence and uh, uh, spend some time in the Bible and, you know, on, on a regular basis. 
regular times of worship with other believers. As we come together into God's presence and with other believers and we are encouraged and we're lifted up through times of worship. Regular times of connection with other believers for mutual relationship, encouragement, and accountability. That means we hang out with other believers. We spend time with other believers. We talk about things concerning our faith and how our faith is affecting what we're going through at the time. And also, another one, last one, is, is looking beyond our own circumstances to where we begin to serve others so the focus isn't just on what we're going through, isn't just on our situation. When the focus is on our situation, the problem, the difficulty, the challenges, the situation that we're in just continues to grow and get bigger. But when we are put ourselves in a place where you know, yeah, I'm going through some tough things right now. But so is this person, and I can help this person. I can encourage this person. I can get with this person over here, and I can help carry a little bit of their load. You know, the thing is, when we pick up a little of somebody else's load and help them, there's something that happens that just doesn't make sense. It seems like our load gets a little bit lighter, too. Have you ever noticed that? Ever notice that? It's like, you know, because we're focusing on somebody else, we're not just dwelling on our own situation, on our own uh, 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 difficulty, challenges in our life. Those who practice those four things consistently and over time are those who experience sustained growth in their lives. Those who are hit and miss, maybe see some sporadic growth, but it's not sustained. So we will be here, and we are here to do everything we can to help guide and facilitate your growth. But we can't do it for you. You're, you know, it's, it's not an automatic thing. You have to take responsibility for that. I have to take responsibility for my growth. Number five, and that is that we will accomplish more together than alone. That's the beauty of the body of Christ. I can't do it all. You can't do it all. But when we join our gifts together and we join our abilities together, we can do more than either of us could by ourselves. I love Ephesians 4.16 says, From him the whole body fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament promotes the growth of the body for building up itself in love by the proper working of each individual part, that fitted together, that, I love the word knit together, because as something is knit together, think of fabric that is knit together, the, uh, each individual thread is strengthened by all those around it. And the thing about being knit together is, you know, when you, when you take a good piece of knit cloth, you can pull it and it will stretch, it will give, it will you know, but, but it won't break. Because the, they're str- the, the, the individual threads are strengthening each other. So it's as the body comes together and the individual members are mutually strengthened that we're able to accomplish what God has given us to do. We'll never reach our potential apart from being joined to a body of believers. But when the church joins together in unity, one mind, we're unstoppable. Sixth and last point, 
we will make a difference. You want to make a difference? We will make a difference. As we're joined to Christ, we're reaching out to people with the gospel, doing things the right way, we're growing and we're, we're working together, we will make a difference. Look at John 15, 5. Jesus said, yes, I am the vine and you are the branches. Then he makes an amazing statement. Those who remain in me and I in them, in other words, we maintain that connection, we maintain that relationship, will produce much fruit. Not maybe, not might, not hope to, not should, but will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. How much of a difference can we make? We're going to look at Ephesians 3.20. Now to him who are able to do, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. He's able to do way beyond you can even think to ask. And he does it through the church, through his power that is at work in us. Now, as we said before, partnership goes two ways. As a church, that's, this is what we commit to you. That we will do anything short of sin to reach people who are far from God. That we'll focus on the gospel, not on politics. That we will demonstrate integrity in all things. That we will help guide your growth, but not take responsibility for it. And that we will accomplish more together than alone. And that we will make a difference. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes, everyone question for you now is twofold. I don't want anybody walking across the back talking. I just want your full attention right now. First, it's very possible that you're here and you've never really made a commitment in your life to follow Jesus. And First and foremost, that's the decision that you need to make now then. Now, he doesn't uh, ask you to understand it all. He doesn't ask you to figure it all out. But he wants you to know that his love for you is greater than anything that you have ever known before. And he proved that love in that before you ever gave him a thought, he went to the cross and was crucified so that you could be forgiven of sin. And he was then buried but he didn't stay in the grave. He rose on the third day and he offers you new life in him. He wants a relationship with you. He's not asking you to make promises that you can't keep about I'm never going to do this again. I'm never going to you know, lie to the kids. I'm never going to do that. He's asking you to believe in his death and resurrection and then to begin to stop living for yourself and instead to live for him. If you're ready to take that step, you've not taken it before. If you're ready to take that step, everybody's heads bowed, eyes closed. I want you to just put your hand high in the air right now. 
not going to take a long time with this. We're not going to have you stand up in front of everybody or, you know, any, any, anything else. But I just want you to put your hand in the air right now as a sign. I'm ready to take that step. Yes. Anyone else? Then would you pray with me? And I want you to, I invite you all to join in with this. Sim- very simple prayer. Jesus, I repent of my sin. I believe you died for me and rose from the dead. I believe you're alive and ask, me to f- ask you to fill me with your spirit. I want to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Second question. Will you partner with us? We need you. Will you partner with us to love God, to serve people, and to see lives changed? We can't do it without you. And we need a commitment. We need, you know, we commit ourselves to things all the time. And we need to know, we need to have you with us. I want you to look at the bottom of your outline. There's a simple yes and no. And I want you to just check that off. We're not going to collect these. We're not going to have them to show you to anybody. This is for you. But I want to ask for a conscious decision right now. Yes, I will commit to the mission of loving God, serving people, and changing lives. Yes, I will commit to partnering with you. Or, no, that's not for me. I'm asking you to do that because I want you to be honest with yourself. If you're not ready for that, that's okay. That's up to you. But if you are, then I want you to be able to look back at a day, at today, another September 2nd, day in history as saying as the day that yeah I committed myself I'm partnering with this body of believers to reach this community for Jesus Christ to love God to serve people and to change lives okay you got your answer down like the worship team to come on up